Hey, everybody. Welcome to You Were Born for this podcast with Father John Ricardo, Mary Guilfoyle. Brothers and sisters, we got a special podcast episode today. It's a uh, actually a video cast as well that Mary and I recorded last week with three dear friends, um, Father Thomas Hahn, who's the pastor of St. Louis de Montfort down in Fishers, Indiana, his director of evangelization, Brian Freiberger, and then Jeff Hess, who has a similar role over at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, also in uh, nearby parish uh, over in Indiana. So Mary and I recorded this, but we've also done a first video cast, and it's going to be posted on our Acts 29 website later this afternoon. So probably uh, you can access that as well. If you want to see us on video talking to these three good brothers, you can find that at acts29.org and then click on the media tab. It's underneath videos. In the meantime, enjoy the podcast. And don't forget, you were born for this. Hey, everybody. Welcome to You Were Born for this podcast with Father John Ricardo, Mary Guilfoyle. We're a couple of missionaries at Acts 29, and this is the podcast where we talk about anything and everything having to do with transformation in the church. Mary, happy Advent. Happy continued Advent to you, Father John. And we have some very special guests with us today, don't we? Yes, we do. Thrilled to have. Can I tell everybody who we have oh, with please. us? So joining us today for what, what we know is going to be an anointed conversation is, is Father Hahn and Brian Freiberger and Jeff Hess from St. Louis de Montfort in Fishers, Indiana and St. Elizabeth Seton in Indiana because they just completed running this massive rollout of the rescue project in, in those two parishes. Wow, Father. fantastic. So we're going to have a abundantly grace-filled time. Brothers, it's great to have you with us. How are you? Excellent. Fantastic. Thanks for having us. Life is good in Indiana. It's paradise here. You should come. Yeah. It's paradise. All right. That's great to hear. We're there. All right. That's paradise. Well, why, we're coming. why don't we pray? We'll ask the Lord to, to bless our conversation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, we just thank you for this time that we have uh, right now. We ask for your Holy Spirit to be upon us to bless our discussion back and forth about how it is that in this time that you've chosen for us to live in, we can best cooperate with your grace to do whatever it is you're asking us to do in our own settings, to rescue as many people as we can, to lead them into an encounter with your son, uh, to mobilize them for mission, to continue the work that Jesus began on Easter Sunday. And so Father, we thank you for these days, this uh, special, precious time of Advent. And we thank you for this precious time that we have together right now. Just guide and animate all that we say and do, that it would be for your glory and the encouragement of those who are listening. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 In the name of the, the Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, Father Han, I wonder, if we, maybe you could just start us off. Tell us a little bit about yourselves down there, both uh, what's going on at St. Louis de Montfort, um, and then um, maybe just introduce Brian and Jeff for us, if you wouldn't mind. Be glad to. So my name is Father Thomas Hahn. I'm a pastor here at St. Louis de Montfort. I've been a pastor here two and a half years. I've been a priest of the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana nine and a half years. My uh, first year, of course, for any pastor is to get your bearings and figure out who you flock is and what the, they need. Um, kind of next stage is to kind of assemble your team to, to know who's going to be in the mission with you. And then mm -hmm. I, after that, you get rolling. And that's kind of what happened here that 
within a year, uh, I brought Brian Freiberger on board as a director of evangelization. Um, so he's been here for over a year now, um, a little bit longer than that. And uh, he's been a, a great collaborator, as my whole staff has been on living the mission at our parish. Uh, I had the blessing in my early priesthood to serve as a parochial vicar at St. Elizabeth Seton in Carmel, just you know, five miles down the road from where I am now. And that's where I got to know Jeff Hess, who's here with us, who's still at St. Elizabeth Seton, um, and who kind of spearheaded the rescue project at their parish. That's fantastic. You know, even just hearing you um, describe that real quick, I don't know about what your experience has been. So did you say nine years ordained? Is that what it is? That's true. Yep. So I'm, I'm, I'll be uh, 27 this May. And my own experience personally, when I was first ordained was collaboration between parishes was not common. Uh, no. But it's becoming common now. Is that, is that what you're experiencing too? Um, at a, a micro scale, I think we're still, all of us are easing into the waters. I think uh, it's almost like, you know, a, a dad of a family has a bunch of kids and you got enough to, to worry about and feeding them and getting them in the right place. And then all of a sudden I got to think about somebody else's family, but that's not, you know, uh, the, the mindset here is that we're all in the same family here, folks, let's run in the same direction. So I think we're gradually uh, breaking ourselves out of that absolute parochialism for sure. That's great to hear. Praise God. Yeah. I know we, we began to see some of that ourselves uh, in parish ministry before we, we jumped ship and came into Acts 29, and, it, and increasingly so, I think, it just as the, the challenges of the culture become more intense, right, it's just going to necessitate that. Yeah. And so, there's, there, please, God, there will be less room for competition, right, or let alone yeah. jealousy or, or envy, which tragically can be present in the priesthood. It, it, yep, it requires it. The pride of thinking I can do it better than the next guy or yep, jealousy or envy, whatever's going to inhibit it, it's time to lay that stuff down. That's awesome. Yeah. So that was certainly our experience in parish ministry. And what it does is it allows us to press into what the Holy Spirit is doing in the local church and to also leverage resources and the vision that's happening somewhere else. And um, I also think too, it was an opportunity when we collaborate on that level, it's an opportunity to raise up leaders mm. um, because I, I, I think about this all the time. Uh, Deacon Steve Mitchell was always keen to um, help me in this regard as he said, great leaders are always looking to raise up great leaders behind them. Well, if you're operating as a silo within your own parish boundaries and you don't have a broader view for what Jesus Christ wants to have happen in the local church and in archdiocese or even beyond, we lose sight of who are those leaders that, that the Lord is raising up in the church and how can we come alongside them and grow those leaders for the next generation behind us. And so there's a lot of benefits to that, that sense of collaboration. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Brian and Jeff, just maybe to, to help everybody um, and, and situate them, give us from your perspective, like a little thumbnail, if you will, on St. Louis de Montfort and on Elizabeth Ann Seton, would you? Yeah, the, the parish, St. Elizabeth uh, or St. Uh, Louis de Montfort is uh, what, 1,700 families, 1,800 families. Uh, we've got a parish school, um, a very vibrant community. And uh, so we're situated uh, in Fishers, Indiana, a suburb of Indianapolis. Um, like okay. Father said, five miles from Carmel, uh, Indiana, where uh, Seton is. Okay, and the school is K through eight. Uh, Pre-K through eight, actually, yeah. Pre-K through eight, beautiful. Kids. Yeah, yeah. five hundred and fifty kids. Yep, it's good-sized school. Thriving and 
some classes have a wait list. It's an excellent school. Oh, praise the Lord. That's great to hear. Yeah. Great to hear. And Jeff, how about Elizabeth Ann Seton? Yeah, so we're, we're just a tad larger, maybe about 2,000 families. Um, as, as Brian said, we're a suburb of Indianapolis as well, just a little bit west of Fishers. Uh, we do not, we have a, a preschool, um, so two-year-olds through pre-K, um, but nothing beyond pre-K. And um, yeah, a thriving community. We've had some some long-standing members there and some, some phenomenal people that um, got involved in the rescue project, so. I guess one so other just curious. No, please go ahead. Is is that uh, these suburbs in Indianapolis are relatively young? I mean, yeah. exploded over the last forty years population wise. So both these parishes were built in the nineteen eighties, essentially, and um, oh, wow. nineteen eighty for us, St. Louis de Montfort, nineteen eighty five, I believe, at St. Elizabeth Seton. So it, we're blessed that people are moving to this county, and there there's some affluence, but there's a dynamism on that that level as well that we're a beneficiary of that's awesome and then are there uh would there be a number of kids from elizabeth ann seaton that go to louis de montfort sure thing absolutely yeah there's probably yeah. okay at any point, yeah 15 to 20 that come over our okay great yeah, so there's a good connection there beautiful so just tell us a little bit like how did you guys hear about the rescue project go for it brian yeah i, I think um uh, several of us have, have, have followed some of your podcasts over the years. And when we heard about uh, the move to Acts 29, um, got interested in it. And and this is people across Seton and St. Louis. Um, my wife and I and, and our adult formation leader here at, at uh, St. Louis came up to the recording last October um, when you did that in Plymouth, uh, Michigan. And uh, um, I think it was this summer, Jeff, when some of the, our friends at Seton went to the live event in Columbus. Correct. And so um, we both came away from us in October, very energized. And I think uh, Cheryl and, and Arnell um, from uh, the live event in Columbus, very energized by what you deliver and, and what the, the experience offers and came back and started to talk about what's possible with, uh, within our parishes. And as, as pastor, um, I was uh, more than receptive, but I was grateful that I had some staff that wanted to see it firsthand to testify to it, to its power. Um, I think you've, I'm sure you've talked about it on, on, on another podcast where uh, the book from Christendom to Apostolic Mission had a pretty profound impact on my vision for what the church needs. And we got a... Um, stop operating in Christendom mode in some ways and be a bit more apostolic, but um, the conviction of seeing the world from a particularly Christian narrative was convicting, um, but just looking at who was communicating that Christian narrative in a convincing fashion that would be accessible to, to a parish, and that was the, the right fit, I think, uh, for exposing people to that that power-packed gospel message. Hmm. You, you know, you guys, you went all in um, <laughs> on on bringing this to both parishes. It, it might be helpful. I, I don't want to presume anybody has any idea how you guys did it. Can you just share with people the decision that you made? First of all, I'm, I'm curious as to like why you decided to do it in the way that you did it. And then share with people what you actually did, because 
I, I love Father. You you mentioned. Uh, I remember listening to one of your early podcasts, or maybe it was uh, a radio interview. Yeah, indie radio, where you just said you wanted to, you wanted to host a, a parish-wide conversation, which I just think is a spectacular way to encapsulate what it is that you did. So maybe just share with everybody what you did and why you did it that way. Sure, I'll, I'll begin and I'll let Brian take it from there. I, I think, I think every parish nowadays is thinking in terms of religious formation for children and how we just cannot be the surrogates for that formation process, that we can only aid the parents in that effort, that they are the leaders, the formators, that sort of thing. And so we're trying to, in a parish vision plan, a three-year rolling plan we were uh, creating through the diocese, we wanted to make sure that there was a parent-child conversation happening regularly whether it was confirmation, formation, or just religious education, we're trying to figure out how, what does that look like, what parishes are doing it well, what didn't. So that conversation's already happening. At the same time, we're aware that there are plenty of Catholics who presumably either have not truly encountered the Lord Jesus and in the power of his grace or do not know the full narrative, right? Um, we um, then decide this might be the direction we go. And I wanted to make sure that all of my staff understood that. And so we actually made a commitment to our parish staff and our parish council uh, to read first from Christendom to Apostolic Mission and discuss it. They get that, that vision uh, for where we are in world history. And then number two, we read your book, Rescued, chapter by chapter discussion so that the whole staff would understand why this is some missing elements that most Catholics have not received. Um, so once, and parish council as well. So once they were convicted, then you had a whole army of leaders who were ready to, to go. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And, and so we looked at it and said, we can go from doing an experience on a Monday night and use it as one of our programs or experiences to this full parish effort. And I remember an early conversation with you, Mary, uh, where I was asking, how did you guys do this? How should we think through this? And you encouraged me to steep ourselves in prayer uh, on that and don't just assume. And so we did that and um, doors kept opening along the way. So we knew we would do Monday night. Um, my young adult leader said, hey, I'm on board. I want young adults to have this. My high school leader said, I think we need to bring it into high school. And then we started saying, yeah, but but we've got other programs going on, a mom's group, a father's ministry. They're pretty um, set in some of the programs they've been using, but let's approach them. And so I had conversations with them and I was amazed at how the walls dropped down quickly and they said, we're on board, we're ready to, to pull this in and do this along with you. Um, the final piece of the puzzle to get to what father said, which was this true parish wide conversation was uh, creating the age-appropriate content for second to fifth grade and uh, sixth to eighth grade, our junior high. And we're fortunate to have just a great staff that were able to take that on. Um, sixth through eighth grade, uh, Father, sorry, we spliced up the videos a little, but pulled key points out where we said, we wanna get these three points across and we use some of your videos, but not the full picture because we don't believe that it, it uh, may be as age-appropriate there for sixth to eighth grade. And then for second to fifth, uh, Father Han was was kind enough to record some five to seven minute minute videos that was really targeted to that age group. And then our religious ed leader 
uh, put together a lesson plan around it. So with those pieces in place, we then went to our parents of, of the children and said, you know, we'd really like for you to be a part of this. And the, the response was, was pretty dramatic. Um, that's at least the picture at St. Louis de Montfort. I know at, at Seton, Jeff, maybe you can talk about what, uh, what went on at Seton to get to uh, the program. Yeah. So it, it, um, a little bit to a lesser of extent, because the conversation started a little bit later, um, as, as Brian mentioned, we had two of our prisoners uh, went to the live event in Columbus. I was supposed to go, I had some conflicts, but they came back just uh, blown away. And it was at that point that the conversation really picked up at Seton. Brian said, hey, this is look, what would be fantastic is if we both rolled this out, and then what if we did a joint retreat uh, for, the, for those two sessions? And I mean, it. this is a true testament to the Holy Spirit because I think this was maybe, we maybe had a month, 40 days, something like that before kickoff was to take place. And, and we do, we have a fantastic uh, team of people that have been just involved in a variety of different ministries at Seton. So it wasn't hard. Um, again, folks that have been following and listening to some of the podcasts you've done over the years and the Holy Spirit just moved and, and we were up and rolling and rolled out. And St. Elizabeth or St. Louis de Montfort was doing the weekly sessions on Monday night. We decided Tuesday night, maybe offered some some flexibility. Folks couldn't attend one or the other um, and just took it from there. I guess, um, and this is a part of this kind of humbling to, to talk about, but um, as a priest, you know, you want to be as good of a, a, a manager of a staff. You want to be an articulate teacher. You want to be an able administrator, a leader, but I've been reminded by the best of my mentors and holy people in my life that there's a reason they call you father, that the best priest is a father of a, of a family and they want their father to lead them. So I felt that over the two year span I had been here at the parish that people were willing to trust me. And so um, when it came time, when I, I believe I preached all the masses, no, I gave an extended announcement. That's right. Um, at each of the weekend masses. And I essentially looked at my, my, my people have been entrusted to me and say, it's my dream for each of you to do this. And, and they responded. And, and that's so humbling to know that um, as they walked into that first night and they sat in their small groups and the people asked, why are you here? A number of them said, because Father, Father Han said to come. <laughs> and that was it. So that was um, humbling for me, but also so edifying that now, and you come back to the parish-wide conversation, conversation that, that after mass, even if they weren't watching it on the same night, one was a mom, mom's ministry, one was going to the Monday night experience, they were talking about it. And, and when I go to the mom's group towards the end of the rescue project, and I say, what'd you like about it? They said, the best thing was we were talking about the faith at the dinner table for the first time. And so the, the, the parish-wide conversation didn't happen just with parishioners, it was happening at the dinner table. So that was good for my priestly heart to hear that stuff. Uh, spectacular. Just, just to honor you for that too. I think, you know, uh, that is, that is one of the most important requirements, I think for us as a, as a priest. And it's also one of the most difficult things to actually bring about, which is trust, especially in a, in a culture right now that we're living in both you know, um, on a political landscape, but unfortunately also within the church, there's such a crisis of trust. 
And so the fact that they responded to you in the way that they did uh, just says volumes about you and the the fatherly heart that you have that you've obviously manifested. So I just want to want to hold that up, honor you for it, and and just encourage uh, all of us uh, who are priests who are listening to you to just uh, ask the Lord to give us the grace to to live in such a way so that people see in us not a manager, uh, not a CEO, but a father and even when children don't like what their parents are saying, sometimes they trust them. And uh, so you, you, you've, you, yeah, you've just done great work, brother. I just want to really, really, really want to honor you for that. Can I, I know Mary's got a whole set of things she wants to ask uh, Brian and Jeff, maybe in a special way, but father, I'm just curious from your perspective as pastor, what's been the biggest fruit you've seen? I would say that, um, your image of providing the right lenses, I think for the first time in people's lives, they're understanding that they are uh, caught up in a, a spiritual battle um, that Christ has won for them. They need to strive to fight alongside him. Um, they've, they've never considered Satan's activity in the world, let alone their own life and how he operates. Um, it's not a matter of fear for them because of this project either. They're ennobled and emboldened to fight the good fight and know they have all the, the tools necessary and they have a, a victor rescuer that they can flee to. So um, I think that's, you can preach about some of that stuff and, uh, all day long. And I think I, we try to preach in a supernatural way. We refer, reference the angels and speak of Satan, but um, I've joked to a couple of people that you, I was thankful for you, Father, because you, you kind of got to be the bad guy. Uh, no one likes the pastor to talk about Satan all the time. So I'll just let you do it for a couple of weeks and drive home. And <laughs> it kind of makes life easier for me than when I reference him. I'm not just being the jerk that you already were the jerk first. So yeah, that's, really that's right. Happy to take the fall for you, brother. Right, thanks. Yeah. So. Are you seeing people mobilized for mission? Because I think this is the most, this, this is my own personal take. Like I, we, we talk, Mary, Albert, I, our team here, you know, I'm almost 60 and I am downright embarrassed, I think, when I think about my life as a disciple. I mean, I, I've known Jesus for, I don't know, 50 years. I haven't walked with him for all that time, but I've known him. And I think if you were to ask me, even as recently as, I don't know, six years ago, like what's the mission of the disciple? I think I would have given a decent answer, but it would have been very different from the answer I would give right now. Right. And I think one of the ways the Lord's led us just to pray about this, to think about this, to talk about this has been very personally inspiring um, just to see our task as um, continuing the mission that Jesus begins on Easter Sunday with a clear awareness, obviously, that the Lord's the only one who can build the city of God and the Lord, he's the only one who can build the kingdom and he's the only one who's going to make it all right come the end of history when he puts everything, makes everything new. But there's work to do right now and the work is it includes, but it's bigger than just growing in virtue. D does that resonate with you too? Sure thing. Um, I, I want to say that it's been a change of mindset for the, the parishioners who've gone through this because as they near the end and even a little bit after, surprisingly after the retreat, they were, they were still asking stuff like, so what's the next project father? What's, what's the next, what's the next program? Whatever that sort of thing. Like they just like, I want to be fed more. I want to be fed more. So that's why that last episode was so important. Yeah. And, and honestly, it's, it's why it's so important for your, your parish staff or your volunteers to, to actually think 
two steps ahead and say, once this is over, what would we want for these people? Um, and that's still enveloping. I mean, it's, 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 it's still unveiling itself, but I mean, one small thing, and I don't, uh, the tangible results would be difficult to quantify, but uh, basically the first Sunday of Advent, I preached all the weekend masses and we, I referenced the rescue project and kind of summarized it for people who didn't get to experience it and refer, referenced the rescued people, rescue people. And said, think of, think of two people right now and before Christmas, um, try to articulate the message that's transformed your life. Tell them the story. And uh, Brian uh, can talk about what we've got planned on Monday nights um, for parishioners who don't quite feel ready yet. Yeah, and, and, and I'll validate it because in the last two workshops I ran, I had people saying that Father Han asked us to go identify those two people. So again, right, there's that that humbling thing for you that people are hearing it. But we're, we're running uh, what we call the Tell the Story workshop um, <laughs> on Monday nights now. And it's a pretty simple framework, but it's bringing people together first to say, how was the experience for you? Um, let's pray on that, but let's talk about the experience. And then we talk about the importance of telling the story, that in 30 years, if we don't tell the story, people won't know who Jesus is. And uh, and then we just basically, we show your five-minute video, have them break down what are key components of created, captured, rescued response. And then I go back to my old sales days, and I just get them together and have them practice it with a partner, give feedback, turn around, practice it the other way. And... Um, um, it's been edifying to see the reaction from people going through those workshops. We've got another one tonight. I think I've got 20, 20 to 22 people signed up to come together and just kind of get their heads around how they would articulate the story um, to a friend. So, I love it. That's, that, that's spectacular. Um, gosh, there's so much I want to say. Um, the, the first thing is I... I love that when you, when I, as I'm just listening to the conversation, that you don't speak about the Rescue Project as a program. You continually use the word experience because the gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to be an experience that's life-changing. And so that's just, that says a lot about how um, Father Han, you in a particular way, lead that prayer and discernment and execution because we know what's coming next at both of these beautiful parishes is not going to be programmatic. We know that it's going to be a spirit-led, prayed through, what does what is the Lord asking of these two parishes and what does God want for our people who have been overwhelmed by the gospel, surrendered to him, and who God's calling out on mission. You know, I, as I was listening to you speak too about Father John, you were talking about perhaps not within maybe as recently as the last six years, not really understanding what our mission was as a disciple. When we were in, involved in parish ministry, we would we looked through um, the archdiocesan threefold lens of encounter, grow, and witness. Well, the encounter piece was actually quite easy. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. The growth piece is discipleship and how do you grow and pastor that encounter and all the ways that you can do that in a parish. But the witness piece was always the hardest piece. And so we we did a lot of what you're currently doing right now, um, helping people tell the story, but absent a repeatable way to share the story through those four words or those four questions, 
can make it somewhat challenging for people. And I think that's one of the many graces among too many to enumerate here is that we have a repeatable way to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can insert in those four words or those four questions God's story in your own life because no one can argue with your story of what Jesus did for you. So I think that's just brilliant and and so helpful. Um, I do it. Transition towards the uh, Eucharistic revival too, because as we shift our nation's focus in that direction, knowing that majority of Catholics, an encounter with Christ usually comes through our Lord in his flesh and blood, whether in the context of mass or adoration. So we're feel like that's a, a momentum going into that year as well. Beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. I like hearing that. And, and, and you know, too, I, I think that once people have encountered Jesus, the mass isn't boring anymore. It's like the mass starts to make sense and the sacraments start to come alive and you have a, an ever growing appreciation for what is actually happening in the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. And it's not functional and transactional anymore. It's, it, it's a deepening of that encounter. Yeah, um, Mary, I, I think part of that, uh, and Jeff, maybe I'd like you to talk on this. The One of the fruits of this cross-parish collaboration is we've now decided to do a 40-hour devotion at both parishes, and we're doing a priest swap. So Father Han will go over there and do talks, and Father Dor will come over over here um, to do talks. For the 40 that. hours or for Sunday? 40 hours. During the 40 hours, they'll do a talk each, each day yeah. um, in the 40 hours. Yeah. Love it. I asked oh, Jeff beautiful. to talk, and then I just shared it because I was pretty excited about uh, it. I'm used to that. That's okay, Brian. I, I get that. <laughs> but I, I also think what's been been uh, fun to watch is is the people just being moved by the Holy Spirit, allowing them to lead them. So we've had mm. two particular parishioners that lead small groups uh, within within Seton. They reached out and said, "Hey, we we know people." Um, may not be comfortable leading their own small group, but they want to continue, we'll shepherd them along, sort of guide them along. So that's been a fruit that's that's happened. We also, I'm getting feedback, we as a team are getting feedback from parishioners who are saying, hey, I'm sending these videos to, to family, yeah. to friends, to people across the country, people who have fallen away from the church, who um, are struggling with their faith and they're just, they can't get enough. Um, and so just taking their own initiative um, almost like yeah. they were trained during these weekly experiences and now they're going out and, and, um, it, it, and I think that's the key is it doesn't matter how they're getting the message out there because again, some people are so sensitive, I'm going to do it wrong. And so we go back to quite often that the gospel is power. It's not the herald. Um, and that frees people up a little, but then your videos are helpful to get out, um, to people, give them almost an out if they need it. Um, to assist them in in sharing the message. Beautiful. I see a parallel in people's growth in personal prayer when you talk about using spiritual books of the great masters or some of the current ones, and that's kind of a launch pad for your prayer. But as Teresa Babel and others teach you, is that eventually, like words aren't—I mean, you don't need the rest on the writings of others, right? And that's a, a port of growth. So it's just a matter of facilitating people. At a certain point, maybe they just want to press play on an episode and and then talk about it with somebody. But eventually, I think they'll be able to internalize it enough that they'll be able to fly on their own. So, 
That's just how God is with us, right? I mean, isn't it Augustine who says, you know, like the Lord has to teach us how to pray, just like a parent has to teach a child how to talk. So he gives us the Psalms and gives us other prayers in the scriptures. And sooner or later, you're just able to talk to the Lord, which is, yeah, I mean, who, who of us has not been dependent upon somebody uh, early on anyway? And then we, we often, at least I do anyway, go back to to particular people who have just shaped me, formed me. I just claim them as my own now. I just don't quote them anymore, but I'm still, I don't cite them anymore. I still quote them. That reminds me of a comment that my, uh, a spiritual director many years ago uh, shared with me. He said, you know, one day, Mary, you won't need your books anymore mm-hmm. because we were just talking about how to develop a deep, rich prayer life. I love that. And it's, it's a great launching pad. Um, into prayer, but to have to enter into that deep prayer conversationally because you've met the one, you've met the one that you're speaking with. I mean, that, you know, that changes everything. I, I still have a serious book addiction, um, but um, again, the encounter fuels the prayer. Um, if I could just switch the conversation just real quick, yeah. I, I think Father John and I would be keen to know too, um, just a little bit about, you know, first of all, I can't remember how many folks y'all brought to the equipping day. Curious to know how you leveraged those leaders um, that came. Was your what, was the equipping sufficient? And you know what helped, what didn't help. You know what's missing. And then maybe as a follow up, how did you go about selecting in a particular way um, your small group facilitators? Uh, what was the lens through which you chose them? Yeah, you want to start. I'll start and I'll say everything again. No, we had uh, four people that went to the equipping day. A fifth actually was down with COVID and she spent the time putting together our marketing material, which was beautiful um, while we were there. Uh, But we had four um, at the equipping day and had great conversation up and back um, at at the equipping day. I'll maybe talk on the equipping day. You can talk about how you guys picked picked your leaders. Um, I I think the equipping day was great. I, I do feel like when we went into the small group um, or the table training, it was more about small groups than it was a large event with table leaders. Um, because it, the conversation I think had a lot more to do with how do you host this in your own home? How do you put it on? Some of the skill sets were the same. And obviously that was, that was helpful in giving that guidance to um, the selection of those, uh, those table leaders um, in the the kind of charisms they would need to have. Yeah, yeah, and, and I will say I'll, I'll add to the the equipping day. The um, uh, intercessory prayer um, was something that I personally was not very comfortable with. Uh, so sort of, sort of being forced into the moment uh, was an amazing experience, and um, I walked away. I wouldn't say I'm totally comfortable with it, but it was a fantastic experience and and one that. Um, I really look forward to, and we saw the, the fruit of it during the, the retreat. As far as the, the table facilitators, you know, we're, we were blessed at Seton to um, have a number of folks that have had some experience with it. And, and we relied heavily on um, some other parishioners that have just been involved in um, some different formats where you have small group discussions. And so it was really a matter of, of just a conversation, praying, um, talking about the rescue project, what it's involved you know, the, the, the power of the gospel. And so just from that, people came forward and said, absolutely, yes. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't overly challenging. But, but I think we were looking for those that did have a charism of hospitality, but also an ability to uh, be empathetic with others and draw others in. Um, we actually 
even intentionally said, if you're a teacher type, yeah. this might not be your calling. Maybe you would be a co and you can be the eyes and ears. And um, I still remember a couple of folks who are like, that's me. I can't do that role, <laughs> you know. And so there was good awareness for people as well um, in, in what they were called to do. And I think the example that that the two of you talked about and shared at the equipping meeting of, um, I forget who it was. It was at a restaurant, I think a gal, and, and the comment she made. And and you saw the reaction at the equipping meetings. Half the crowd went, oh. <laughs> And you said, no, 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 that's what you cannot do. So we shared that experience with our folks and said, this is, you can't have that express. You've got to let people just talk. Um, I'm a Wiccan. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, we have to be able to sit with people where they are and not fall out of our chair with the, with some of the occasional heresy we'll hear from time to time. And of course, it's not it's not intended. It's just we just want to create a space where people can come together to be heard uh, and to and to have a place to to talk and to be um, and to gently guide them along the way, remembering that it's always their journey. You know, it's not your journey. That doesn't mean you you don't speak truth, but there is a pastoral sensitivity, right, that's needed uh, in a particular way. Help, helping them understand that these small groups are formed to go over time. It's not yes. this night, I have to do, you know, get everything solved. And that's, that's just a hard thing for many of us um, <laughs> to get in our heads. We want to jump on the moment, you know. And, eight uh, weeks. I, we want to give them all of the church in eight weeks. Right now. Curious to know maybe if um, if y'all would share, maybe what did you see the Holy Spirit do on the retreat? Because we would say that the retreat day or the retreat half day, and it can really be as lengthy as it needs to be. Um, we would say that that's really the pinnacle or the summit of, of the Rescue Project experience. I think we'd love to hear what you saw the Holy Spirit do. Boy, um, I, I think we're still seeing it. Um, I, I think people, you know, there, there's this sort of buildup throughout the rescue project, right? And, and I think it's intentional, of course, but I think there's also this anticipation of, okay, so so what now almost, right? Like, what do we do with this? And, and then the retreat, the beauty of the retreat is you have these small group discussions throughout, for the most part, through each of the sessions. And then the retreat is, is a lot more prayerful. So I think what was fantastic is it allowed people to sort of get away from that. Sharing is, is fantastic and we need that community and that collaboration, but it allowed people to spend some time in prayer with Jesus, to sit in front of the Eucharist during adoration, um, to sit there and to have somebody pray with them. So I think it allowed people to be more vulnerable with Christ, not just with each other, to, but then to open up to Christ and to be open to what, what he wanted in their lives. Um, I, I, I had so many people came up to us throughout the retreat and after the retreat, just they were blown away um, talking about one of the greatest experiences they've had with their faith. So um, I just think the Holy Spirit, it, it continues to work through folks. And, and I think, Jeff, there, there was an openness to the Holy Spirit and an experience of the Holy Spirit that some of our folks may not have really had before right. through it. So they're like you say, it's still unfolding in their minds. I hear a lot of people still referring back to the experience of the retreat day. I would say it's a, a lesson for all ministry. And I began to learn that lesson when I was uh, assigned at a Catholic high school that you go on a retreat with these kids, you throw some 
spiritual or theological bombs at them. And then you say, all right, go to the small group, talk about it. And they haven't had time to process it, let alone internalize it and speak to the Lord about it. And it sticks that way if you give them the chance to do so. So across the board, any ministry or, you know, faith formation that we want to do, give them the space to turn to the Lord. And I, I would say that, you know, some of those um, episodes like that eventually becomes the impulse of what you want to do after that is go like run to the Lord and say, thank you. Instead of just like, Oh, that was awesome. I'm going to go home and eat dinner now, you know? So. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we're, we're terrible at this in the church. At least I, I know I am. I have to, it's a, it's almost like a, a bad like swing thought in golf that I have to continually fight against, you know, like, Oh yeah, that's right. I always have to build into everything we do a chance for people to respond, you know, as opposed to just some questions to think about, like all those things are helpful, but there's gotta be something very intentional constantly that we allow people to know, okay, let's sit with God with this now, or let's help facilitate an experience with the spirit right now. Otherwise it's just like us talking and we're not letting him really have the initiative and in everything that we're doing. Well, you know, you and I, I think our team in a particular way has, has had to learn that as well over the last three and a half years with the priests, uh, with the retreats that we lead for priests and bishops. Um, there's so much that you feel like the Lord wants you to share and we, we try to cram well-intentioned, you know, everything into like these three and a half days. And it's not a human way to process like what the Lord is doing. Right. So we've even had to rethink um, how it is we minister to God, to, to, to our clergy um, and making room for that internal disposition to, you know, to respond. Yeah, I had an experience probably like two years after I was ordained. I don't know if you guys know Sister Breege McKenna, but she's an Irish uh, religious who does a lot of, you know, retreat work around the world and uh, does a lot of work with priests. And she was preaching at a conference one time. I remember reading, she was scheduled to give a talk and uh, it was like a morning talk. She wakes up in the middle of the night, she can't sleep and she feels like the Lord's inviting her down to the chapel and she goes down to the chapel to pray and she's kind of praying with her talk, I think. And the Lord says, Breeze, there's too much Breeze. <laughs> They don't need Breeze. They need me. Yeah. And it, I, I just remember being so convicted by that at the time. And I, go, I you know, I was 20 some years ago and I go back to it all the time. Like, are, are, am I filling it all with just like what I want to share or are we allowing an opportunity for the Lord to talk and for the Lord to move? We, we just see our, what we're doing as like a way of setting the table so that they can sit down to the meal uh, with him, we're just trying to kind of create the food or prepare the food for them to chew on. So beautiful. You guys have been so generous with your time. I, I, I know um, Mary's got maybe something she wants to ask, but I just like to hear like from your perspective, maybe, maybe priest to priest, Father Han, like what, what would you, what, what would your encouragement or uh, advice be to any of our brothers who's thinking of doing something with the rescue project? I would, uh, and I have talked to several brother priests about this, um, because when they ask like, what's good in your life and what's going well in your ministry, and I, I will bring up the rescue project and that effort. And, um, I, they ask a lot of the technical questions, but in the end, it comes back to, um, any part of the story 
that people have not internalized or encountered makes for a pretty crappy story and they're not going to ever be zealous about, you know? And so like, and it just, it's going to be boring. And I've said that many times in different contexts and, and you have as well that, you know, without the bad news, the good news ain't good. And without the response, it's just good information. And, you know, uh, all, so how do you know what people are missing until you ensure they're, they're covering those bases in a convicting way? Um, as a pastor, that's, that's the foundation by which you can do some pretty amazing things in your parish. So don't skip steps. Um, we, we are head over heels in love with Jesus and the Eucharist. And that's why we became priests. And, and our instinct is to talk about that. And, and like sacramental theology doesn't make sense until you realize the Lord rescued you. Right. So I just don't, don't jump ahead because you're ahead. Um, try to, to teach your children where they are. And it's the good news of the good news is that it's never infantile. It's ever, ever new. And, and even for the advanced, you know, people who are well on their spiritual path, they're still going to draw strength from this. It's not going to be a waste of time. So yeah, I, I just I, want to hold up something you just said. I think it's a great word for all of us who teach in whatever capacity. Don't jump ahead just because you're ahead. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, I, I'm thinking of a, a priest I know who teaches who uh, he would teach an introductory class, but he was always it was anything but introductory. It was always kind of like the latest thing he was reading. And he was doing all this like really profound speculation, which was really rich, but it was the wrong place to be doing it because these people are like, how many persons are in the Trinity? You know, like don't, don't, you got to build a, a solid foundation first and then you can go in all sorts of directions. So I loved hearing you say that. Thank you. Well, that's, that's what you have said that I think it was Pope Benedict said, we're, we're always, we're always answering questions that people aren't answering. I mean, aren't asking, that's right. you know, so we have to know where people are obviously clearly. Um, just maybe a question for, uh, Brian and Jeff, as lay leaders, I guess I have, a, I have two questions. The first one is the vision and the manner in which um, under Father Hahn's leadership and, and, and your capacity to come alongside him, the manner in which you've rolled out the Rescue Project experience has captured the attention of uh, quite a few parishes and lay leaders across the country. Um, what would you say, first of all, to those lay leaders who find themselves in positions like yours? What, am I, what advice might you offer them? And second of all, um, would you be open to having conversations with people who want to talk to other leaders like yourself that you could maybe coach them into how it is they can step into a similar vision or a similar pathway to roll it out? Yeah, I think um, probably my primary thing would be to go to prayer with this and um, uh, understand where God is calling um, them to go. And um, um, while, while we felt pretty confident this was the right thing, that prayer confirmed it and just opened up a broader aspect of what is possible. Um, so, so that would be, I, I think, my, my biggest, uh, biggest piece of advice and, and maybe just don't be afraid of it, man. Dive into it. Get com comfortable and experience it yourself. Even if that's doing your own small group, if you're not comfortable with it, get that experience so that you can have a group of people ready to, to march with you in it. And yes, absolutely. Um, send people our way. We'd love to talk about um, our experience with it. And I also think 
get out of the way and allow the, the Lord and the Holy Spirit to work. I, and I'll, I'll share just a quick, the, the first night or two uh, of the <laughs> weekly sessions, um, I think I think we had 230, I think we were at capacity, 236 for the space we had at, at Seton. And we had a number of folks, we, we were concerned we were going to have a number of folks walking up. And then sure enough, a number of folks walked up uh, without signing up ahead of time. And we, our initial reaction was, what are we going to do? And we sort of went into this panic mode. We don't have room for them. And, how, and finally, I don't know who it was. Somebody stepped in and said, it'll work out. We got allow trust in, in God and it'll work out. And sure enough, we had plenty of food. We had plenty of space. We had some no-shows. People came back the next week. But I think to, to Brian's prayer, it goes back to prayer, um, right? Allowing the Holy Spirit to work, pray, trust in the Lord. Um, and then, uh, you know, just, just, be a tool, be an instrument for God to use you. That's beautiful. I love it. Guys, it's been a, a real gift to spend some time with you and just to hear what the Lord's doing in and through you. And um, we, we just thank God for the, the blessing that you are in our lives and, uh, and for the way that he's networking his people around the country. We look forward to continue to uh, serving together in whatever way the Lord's inviting us to do that. It's just beautiful to see him networking uh, brothers and sisters around the country together to help go get his world back. So thank you for giving us so much of your time. We're very grateful for it. One more thing. Uh, we we um, actually invited ourselves to, to Fishers. We did. Um, we would love to let y'all know that our door is always open. We would love to have you, Father Han, come and visit us, Jeff and Brian. We would love to have you here. Let us host you. Um, to spend time with you. So just know that you have a standing invitation to come to Michigan anytime. We'd love to have you. Well, thank you guys very much. And, and the sentiments are, are uh, back to you as well. We appreciate what you guys have allowed the Holy Spirit to do in, in creating this project. Um, and it's, it's changing lives. So thank you. Glory to God. Amen. A blessed Advent and a most uh, spectacular celebration of the Nativity of our Lord. Thanks, guys.